Hello everyone and welcome to the Three-Sided Coin podcast. This podcast is a dynamic platform that discusses topics related to African political economy and development. It also specifically profiles young African researchers, policymakers, activists and people in industry who are making waves and are positively contributing to the rethinking of the African narrative. So the topic of discussion today will be the basic income grant. And I think that it's a very important and timely discussion to be having because the Minister of Social Development has announced that at the end of October, they aim to phase out the Social Relief of Distress Fund. Um, that's the 350 rand that they instigated during um, the early stages of the COVID pandemic to help with COVID resilience, but only for a certain category of South Africans. So the basic income grant would see an expansion of people who are able to access this grant. Um, and I think that there are a lot of questions regarding the trade-offs, the, the cost, right, where money would be coming from and how we could build economic structures around financing that. Um, but there are also very important social and moralistic aspects of the grant and what it means for our own aspirations as, as a South Africa that like cares for people, right? That wants to see inequality become diminished, that wants to see the end of poverty. So we're joined by four panelists today who work in transfers, underemployment, employment, and COVID-19 resilience. And I think that they have a lot to say about this topic. So I'm going to ask every speaker to introduce themselves before they make their presentation. And can we have Mora, Aiden, Awande, and then Shaira go. Thanks. Okay, yeah. So like Seho said, my name is Mora, Mora um, Dechikale. I am a default student in human geography at the University of Oxford. Um, so I guess just to begin, my research is not on cash transfers or basic in income grants at all. Um, my research is fo was focused on under and unemployment of young people, uh, specifically graduates in the context of South Africa. Um, so I guess in a way, my research is kind of tangentially connected to the issue of cash transfers and universal basic income grants. Uh, I think when I'm researching um, kind of the experiences of people, people's experiences of under unemployment, naturally, the next question to ask would be, so what is the solution to the crisis that we find ourselves in, in South Africa, the crisis of unemployment? Um, which becomes huge every time kind of stats essay releases the latest statistics of unemployment. So I think from my perspective, uh, I don't believe that the solution to unemployment and underemployment lies in the kind of technical fixes of job creation, skills development, entrepreneurship, et cetera. Um, I think that those things are part of these narratives of development that we get told by institutions like the World Bank, like the IMF, um, even very neoliberal nation states. And these are narratives about kind of a, there's a narrative of creative destruction where they say we're in a moment where everything looks like it's a bit of a mess, but don't worry, we've got a plan, we're going to fix it. Um, and I think there's also the, the kind of narrative of imminent development that everybody just has to be patient and that we'll get to a point where everything's better and everybody's kind of living a prosperous life. 
Um, and I think the issue is that what if that point doesn't come? What if the kind of creative part of the destruction just never happens and people continue to live uh, in, in the poverty that we see today? And I think that there's overwhelming evidence that what they're telling us about the future and development um, isn't going to come if we look at employment and unemployment in particular. So the first point is that there's just no jobs. Uh, it's very clear in the case of South Africa. Um, and I don't believe that it's a temporary thing that if we wait for, we have to wait for kind of austerity measures to make it better or that we have to wait for a period of economic growth because we've seen it before in South Africa where there's been jobless economic growth. We've also seen it in places like India and Indonesia um, as well. But even so unemployment statistics don't tell the full story, because even where people do have jobs, they're precarious, they're dangerous, they're low paying and they're exploitative. And so to have people's well-being depend on work um, just seems kind of cruel. And I think so people have also written about this idea of reaching a state of full employment as something that is largely imagined by people. So they say that full employment was actually only partially and temporarily, temporarily realized and only in specific parts of the world. So it was only for a few decades in the mid 20th century in almost exclusively North American Europe that full employment uh, was achieved, but that we haven't seen it um, pretty much anywhere else. So I think in that context where people um, can't find jobs and the jobs that they do find are not contributing to their well-being, I think a universal basic income grant makes um, sense. But not only for its uh, potential uh, and ability to provide for people, um, but I think it also gives people um, kind of the basic means for life that enables them to avoid, even if it's only temporarily, uh, dangerous work and exploitative work, because suddenly that kind of work is not the only option because they have money to be able to survive. So what we're saying to people when we choose a universal basic income is that you don't need to kind of go into this type of work and toil away and suffer in order to prove that you deserve to live, that you deserve to have food and you deserve to have shelter. And I think the other important thing about the universal basic income is the fact that it challenges our assumptions um, about work and what its purpose uh, is. Um, I think that we don't think of work as, on, as only a way to get money, but I think that we've linked work and labor to ideas about dignity and status um, and esteem. And I think that that was one of the biggest reasons that even though the basic income was lobbied for in the 1990s, formally proposed in 1998, was the reason for its failure was because as, as um, people like Ferguson have written, it's because of the idea of giving people money for doing nothing that offends people rather than the actual practical doing of it. So, I mean, the reason that they didn't take it on uh, when Trevor Manuel was in treasury at the time was because they said it would just cost too much and would bankrupt uh, the system. And even though they said that, the government still went on to expand the welfare system. 
so that it's one of the biggest welfare systems in the world. And so that for me um, signals that it's actually just the, the idea of it um, and what, what it means for our ideas about work um, that's more problematic. So I think that now that it's being proposed, I think the conversation's shifted from whether we should have it. Well, I, I'm hoping that it will shift from whether we should have it um, to what it will look like. So the things that I mentioned about its potential to provide people a way of declining its voice of work will very much depend on how big the actual grant is so it'll be more i hope conversations around those technicalities rather than whether it should be something that we should have in in the first place great thanks for that Mara. Uh, can we get aiden hi just to introduce myself i do research in the southern africa labor and development research units in the school of economics at uct um i think that the basic income grant seeing as it would reach all, all parts of the distribution of income, including rich people, um, isn't redistributive enough. I think it's in, in some sense, it's too aggressive. So I would want to ask why the child support grant um, shouldn't be looked at instead, um, seeing as the child support grant reaches many more people who are living in poverty and it has a much um, more significant effect on poverty. I think the child support grant doesn't only reach the recipients, um, but it also reaches all the households that those recipients live in and money gets redistributed within the households. So I would support an increase in the size of the child support grant, um, seeing as the government has a low revenue at the moment and we've got increasing debt. I don't think the government has enough money to spend on something like the universal basic income um, in comparison to something that's more pro-poor like the child, child support grant. I think that's a more efficient way to spend money on grants. Great, thank you for that, Eben. Um, can we go on to the next speaker? Um, hi, my name is Awandib Telezi. I am a researcher and organizer at the Cooperative and Policy Alternative Center and an activist with the South African Food Sovereignty Campaign. And I just recently completed my Master's in Development Studies at the University of the Witwatersrand. Uh, my research focus has been mainly uh, with regards to the intellectual history of political economy uh, or political e economic thoughts and climate change and uh, climate mitigation and climate resilience uh, frameworks. And my work at COPAC and with the South African Food Sovereignty Campaign has been main, primarily focused on uh, relief efforts, uh, water stress communities, and a number of the other in intersecting uh, issues surrounding the COVID crisis, uh, particularly around food. And for me, the basic income grant uh, is covers three focuses or three areas with regards to South Africa, particularly um, our history, our colonial and history and our legacy of apartheid, uh, the current crisis that we're in right now, and the impending climate crisis that we're moving into. Um, in the global north, a lot of the discussion and focus around the basic income grant 
has been mainly centered around uh, the discussion around automation uh, and uh, issues around surrounding a post-work society or uh, a post-employment society, which would occur due to increasing automation. And that's mainly how it's been centered around in the mainstream. And within the South African context, we see that the structure of South Africa is an interesting microcosm of, of the world in a number of ways, but we already have and continue to live with structural unemployment. Uh, with the added features of our structural inequality and, uh, you know, wealth and income inequality. And what the COVID crisis has done in South Africa and across the world is expose uh, our underlying, what's called again, weaknesses in the structure of our, of, of our societies. And the arguments surrounding it for a basic income grant has become clearer and clearer in this current moment. But um, how... I'd entered into it through my work and my research and my understanding of it had also been with regards to the coming crisis of, of climate change uh, or the climate uh, crisis. And Southern Africa, for example, uh, temperature has been rising at twice the global average rate. So we are in a climate hotspot where the effects of uh, global heating hits us harder than most other areas, for example, within the global north. And we're currently seeing that right now where parts of the country are in the sixth year of droughts. Uh, and we have a country also which is our economy has been mainly built off of the extractive industries within the, uh, you know, the, 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 the construction of the mineral energies complex, which is a, something that goes back to the structural legacy of colonialism and apartheid in this country. And to move our country into a position where beyond this COVID crisis, we can effectively address these legacies of colonialism and apartheid and to build a state that was resilient for the warming uh, planet or the, 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 the increasingly warm climate that we're moving into whilst being redistributive and fair, uh, a, a basic income grant would be a step in the right direction of bringing forward all those other things that we would need. Great, thank you. Uh, can we move on to Shaira, please? Hi, thanks so much. Um, it's been good to hear what others are thinking. Um, from my side, uh, just to quickly introduce myself, I am one of the uh, organizers on the cash transfer subgroup of the C19 People's Coalition. And in June, we um, released a statement um, in consultation with a number of relevant community formations. Um, the document that we drafted basically provided a series of important observations and demands to serve as a conversation starter, an accessible reference, and a compelling distillation of past and ongoing struggles in relation to income security in South Africa. What's really clear is that while details differ on um, what kind of basic income guarantee or universal basic income grant we want, there is an unequivocal agreement that this can and should be implemented without any further delay. So what we saw um, with the, 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 the call for um, a implementation of the COVID grant um, the 350 Rand COVID grant that is a new grant was really a gateway to a basic income guarantee. 
And there have been many organizations such as Black Sash, Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute, the SBII, um, the AIDC, uh, COPAC, Assembly of the Unemployed, Cry of the Excluded, um, and, and others that have been championing a basic income guarantee. But what we really need to think about deeply is the type of UBI and to be aware of the fact that UBI is merely a tactic that must form part of a broader strategy. And this strategy needs to create a different system, a new economy, because there really can't be any recovery without a systems change. So the biggest problem we face is in, in part an economic model that's based on high rents and high personal debts. And we can take, for example, the punitive credit system or loans to businesses at the moment. This is stemmed from a quote-unquote benevolent donation from billionaires like the Oppenheimers and the Motsepes, but they're part of the problem. So some of the left warn that a UBI could be something of a Trojan horse leading to less protections in the labor market as employers seek to take advantage of the income um, already provided by governments to pay workers lower wages. This is the kind of UBI that megalomaniacs like Elon Musk would support. And it's not the type of UBI that we need because it's a neoliberal conception of a UBI to replace social welfare protections like health coverage, housing allowances, and more touched on some of this, which are essential as a safety net to avoid falling into extreme poverty. Um, now, Aidan also raised the fact that the fastest way to get money to households is through increasing the child support grant. And that, that has been done to a certain extent. Um, but what we've noticed um, and what we've advocated against is that the child support grant has been increased per caregiver and not per child. And this means that if you have three kids, you will not get an increased 500 rand for all three of those kids. You will just get for the equivalent of one child, which places a further burden on black women. And black women have been the hardest hit by the lockdown. Um, and also prior to the lockdown, unemployment statistics for black women and for youth have been much higher than, than the average. So we've got these systemic issues. And what we also need to consider is that in conversations and debates around the future of work, um, we can no longer think about models like Uber or SweepSouth, platform capitalist models, uh, which claim to create jobs, but actually create work without any employment benefits for the, for the workers, which has really been exposed by the lockdown since we've seen um, these workers don't qualify for UIF. Um, and luckily, because of the advocacy work that some organizations like the Casual Workers Advice Office um, and the Israel Domestic Workers Alliance have done by taking these issues to court, we see some progresses in terms of how our UIF is conceptualized now to include informal workers and, and workers who haven't been registered on the UF in the unemployment insurance fund, the UIF uh, databases. Um, so now that they, they would qualify. But as usual, implementation is always the biggest question. So what I, what I think um, is, is important for us from the cash workers, um, uh, the, 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 the cash transfer subgroup, is that there has not been a proper implementation of the COVID grant. Uh, we've seen dismal failures on uh, SASA side and um, Department of Social Development, even when it comes to uh, 
food um, uh, packages that should have gone out to people. Uh, but we've also seen National Treasury using these failures of implementation to justify rolling back support for people uh, through uh, the COVID grant, um, for example, and through social welfare. Uh, so there was a 50 billion rand that was supposed to go to social grants uh, from the stimulus package. And then when the adjusted budget was released, we had seen that there was a 9 billion rand reduction, almost 10 billion rand actually reduction in the amount of money that would go directly to people. Uh, so there, the, the implementation, implementation failures coupled with this obsessive uh, need to reduce debt, which really is a neoliberal fantasy at a time like this, um, is, is destructive. And hopefully in the conversation uh, as we go forward, I can tell you more about some of the advocacy and research work um, that is going to have to take place. Uh, as well as the organizing work that will have to take place to ensure that we can have a progressive basic income guarantee and not just a, uh, um, a very temporary um, below poverty line uh, so-called support um, lifeline as, as they, uh, they speak about it uh, to people who have been constantly wronged by the system from colonialism to apartheid we do need a redistributive um, justice framework uh, for how we think about a UBI. And that's why uh, we consider the language used very important. So we speak about a basic income guarantee rather than a basic income grant to distinguish between the social welfare um, system that we currently have, which is based on the myth of a deserving poor um, and to move towards one where we see it as people's right to justify um, their ability to, to live a dignified life without necessarily having to work. And uh, that dis, uh, disconnection between work and livelihoods, between jobs and livelihoods, is fundamental to the new economy that we're gonna have to create. Great, thank you so much for that. Um, I think it touched on what everyone is saying quite well. Um, and I want to ask if anyone has any questions for anyone else or any clarifications, and then we can look into some of the questions. Yeah, so it was on the, uh, the point that Aidan made about the uh, child support grants. Uh, I think for me, language is important, but in a different way to what uh, Shira has said, um, even though I completely agree on the language of guarantee um, is about the part that's important to me is the fact that it's it's universal. I think that's quite important. And I think that's why for me, I don't think that it should just be the child support grants because if it's universal, um, that means it's available to everybody versus child support grants that are means tested, which can be, I think, as we've seen in South Africa, stigmatizing, but they're also expensive because of the administration and quite complicated because then you have to work out who's deserving and who isn't. Um, which as we know uh, is, can become a moral conversation, which can become uh, quite complex. Um, I think Shaira mentioned that the child support, um, that the unemployment insurance fund doesn't reach non-covered um, workers. 
so it wouldn't reach those who are not like registered with the UIF. Um, and I would, um, yeah, so I think the child support grant would reach the informal economy and also those not registered with the UIF. Um, so I, I, I can see that that's an important part of a grant that's got more coverage than just those workers who are in the formal sector. And I agree with you also that the child support grant shouldn't be per caregiver, it should also be per child um, to reach those women who have more children. But the point that Maura Tegi made was that um, the uni universal basic income reaches everybody that's um, less discriminatory and also means testing discriminates people or stigmatizes people. So I suppose the question is, will the child support grant still exist in the future? Because if it still exists, then that problem will still be there. And we'll, we will still have that administrative burden of um, subsetting a part of the population. And if we're still going through that administrative hurdle of actually implementing the child support grant, um, I don't think it would create a much more administrative issues to simply increase the size of it. And also, I understand that the universal basic income sort of, um, solves the problem of the grant just being cut off at a certain level of income and say people above that minimum income might not want to earn a higher income because they won't they'll be excluded from the grant then might fall into a poverty trap so i suppose the solution to that would just be to increase the minimum income that's required to receive this grant and in that way if we expand the grant um it would be eligible to more people and that's a way of still having something that's very progressive in in terms of redistributing wealth but also something that's not going to cost the country an exorbitant amount. I think my main concern with the universal basic income is you are giving like a thousand rand to the richest people in society. Like the top 10% of the distribution is going to be getting the universal basic income as well. And that's how it's defined. I think that's what we're talking about. So um, I don't think South Africa is a country with enough government revenue to be considering a grant like this um seeing seeing as we've got high debt and um yeah we've really struggling to maintain our, our government's uh, fiscal deficits uh, budget deficit every year so yeah that's my response i wonder if you want to come in before i think some of the questions or comments were addressed to what shira said so do you want to come in before her um, I just want to speak to the point of universality. Also, um, I, I I agree with with with, with Mora that um, you know the universality aspect aspect of it is really important. And I hear some of the, the critiques that Aiden's making, but um, I think those are also more on the technical aspect of the function of the universal basic income grant and how it's structured, because you can progressively tax out that payment to the upper 10%. In fact, in the way in which you structure it by making it universal, you can also help subsidize it for the long term and it acts as an effective means of wealth redistribution. Because especially in a country like South Africa, the question of income inequality is one which is, 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 is very well known within the mainstream. But there's never been a topic or let me say a more generalized conversation around reparations as it's understood in the American context. 
and a basic income grant, if structured in the right way, could act as a way of implementing that process of wealth redistribution. So that's, that's my take. Great, thank you, Sharira. Do you want to come in? I think that what um, research has shown increasingly is that in order to have a poverty reducing effect um, through a COVID grant um, or a universal grant that covers um, more than just people who would previously qualify as the deserving poor, which I think is a myth because when unemployment is structural, when poverty is systemic, and when um, racial injustice is still a, a, a reality we have to, to live with and um, land has not been redistributed, redistribute, uh, land has not been expropriated, um, which Awande, um, I think, indirectly referred to in terms of reparations also, um, even though land is a basic, it doesn't even speak to reparations. That's a, different, uh, a, a much more complicated idea. Um, we have to think about how our social welfare system is problematic in that it speaks to this deserving poor. It's built on a foundation which creates a system where people have to prove how poor they are. And I think that, you know, that is, is costly, as Maura said, but it's also not working. I mean, we look, for example, at the um, qualification criteria that the COVID grant first had which um, excludes migrants and caregivers. And we think about how um, most of the applications initially that, that came through um, were rejected because uh, the SASA had said that these people actually qualify for UIF. And in order to qualify for the COVID grant, you can't actually be receiving any income or any other government grants. And they realized soon after that, that the people that they had qualified were actually not on the UIF system. So they would have had to um, uh, receive the COVID grant. But think about this for a moment. The COVID grant is 350 Rand. That is below the food poverty line, uh, which is around 580 Rand. And it also is uh, an amount that people will not be able to survive on for if they're not receiving another income. So informal workers, for example, were rejected because they, the, the uh, SASA is saying that they're going to look into people's accounts to see if they're receiving an income every month before they get the, the next, uh, you know, payment of the COVID grant. And if they're receiving an income, they're going to disqualify them from receiving the COVID grant. I mean, the logic that this entire grant system is based on is extremely punitive for the most marginalized. And if it's meant to help people, it's clearly not doing that. We've seen that an, a month ago when we looked at the statistics, 90% of the people who were eligible for the COVID grant hadn't received it. Then if you look at the child support grant, it's too low to actually uh, you know, have the poverty reducing factor. But if you qualify it, uh, if, you, if you partner it with a COVID grant and you top up the other grants, which, by the way, was a campaign that initially, before the COVID grant existed, um, you know, we had pushed for, and it happened. There was a topping up of the child support grant, not to the extent that we hoped, because it's per caregiver, not per child, but it it did it did happen, and it helped, but it didn't help enough because if we look at the CRAM uh, data that's been released a few days ago, um, people who were receiving grants still experienced hunger. So we really need to make a decision 
about what matters. I mean, we are a hugely unequal country. We do have wealth. There isn't enough of a wealth tax um, to the extent that there could be. We could get 40 billion rand just from increasing the income tax. Um, we need to we, we need to think about um, wealth taxes. We need to stop considering uh, philanthropic um, motivations for rolling out government assistance um, in the way that we've seen uh, with the Solidarity Fund and various other um, uh, business loan schemes from the Oppenheimers and from the Motsepes. And we need to really think about how we restructure our economy. Other things to consider apart from land redistribution and wealth taxes are also things like fixing our patent laws. Um, and the Health Justice Initiative is working on a campaign for this at the moment, looking at how outdated our patent laws are and how much money we will have to pay uh, to purchase vaccines once they become available if we are to actually get them to everyone who needs them. Um, if we don't fix our patent laws, uh, and we don't consider you know, the more structural changes that need to happen, uh, the UBI can't be considered as a silver bullet. So I agree that we need to think about um, you know, uh, issues around industrial policy. We need to think about um, state-owned enterprises and how they're run. Uh, we need to think about climate justice as central, um, the sharing of labor and care and economic redistribution, all of these things are very important. We can't just think about a UBI as a silver bullet. So there's a there's a there's a huge amount of work that must go into this. Um, and for me, the UBI really is a tactic in a broader strategy that must happen. Uh, so for for the cash transfer subgroup and our pay the grants campaign, that really is the tip of the iceberg. It's about just getting the need to people who are most vulnerable and most hard hit by the lockdown. Um, but the further uh, you know, debates around uh, our economic restructuring is really where the exciting work um, has to come in. And people's power, social movements, that's where a lot of the political urgency uh, to push government to act on these issues and to hold government accountable as well. That's what's really fundamental. So um, for me, that's, that's, that's where I think the crux of it all comes, culminates. Well, great. Um, really thought that was very interesting. Um, and I think that one question that I would have is, this seems so, it's very important that we have um, this kind of grant, as Shaya just said right now, to facilitate, um, to use as one of the instruments in our bigger project. But I think that one thing we haven't really discussed, but Aidan touched on it is, um, where, like the implication of the costs uh, to the economy, of course, prioritizing lives and development at this time is very important, but there is this implication of costs. And I'd like to ask what you, what anyone, one of the panelists or one of the discussants think of this. Um, I think that it'll also imply lots of borrowing from places like the IMF and the World Bank, which of course, we're very skeptical about, um, especially initially, before we're able to uh, construct all of these um, regressive taxes and all of these other instruments to help us generate um, incomes to fund this. So what is the thinking on that? Um, I heard Aidan just speak about the debt 
implication and I was wondering if you had anything to say about that and then anyone else as well. Um, Shaira mentions the wealth tax and I agree that there should be more tax on the wealthiest people in society and I think maybe the best way to increase revenue to finance something like this would just be to increase the income tax because that is quite a progressive system. Um, just a very short input, but I think with regards to financing something of this nature, there's a research has shown that, you know, financing a, a UBI or, or universal basic income grant can be achieved through a, a number of smart combination of various taxes beyond just the wealth tax. Um, but, you know, uh, breaking down a wealth tax, that would mean obviously land, property and inheritance, but you could have an income uh, tax, as Aiden just said now. Corporate tax in South Africa uh, is something that has to be relooked at in terms of uh, ways in which it hasn't grown in the rate at which it should have in the past 20 years or so. Carbon emissions, including uh, carbon taxes and the imports, you know, taxing imports of carbon products, natural resource tax. And I think for me, what is the most important with regards to uh, wealth redistribution and more important, I'd say, than uh, increasing income tax is anti-tax avoidance measures. Um, we need to stop uh, corruption and the way and the manner in which money has been leaking out of our, our country. I think we need very, very um, strong mechanisms around addressing that. Um, and there are also positive dynamics for our, our or positive consequences for our economy through the implementation of the UI, UBI, sorry, um, such as the multiplier effect. Um, and obviously we've spoken at length currently in this conversation about the other structural and redistributive um, aspects of what a UBI can bring. And I think on top of just in terms of financing, I think it's also important that we speak around other measures. Now this is where the conversation broadens out um, to some of the aspects that many of you um, have spoken about, you know, things such as rent control, um, and also managing food prices. There are other things that we need to discuss also with regards to making sure that that UBI, beyond it being financed and beyond the other positive uh, effects of um, you know, spending that would come with it, is also protecting the value of that you know, basic income guarantee or grant that will be given out. Great, thanks Alonde for that. Um, anyone else wanting to come in on this question? I did read the article in the Daily Maverick on this and the author suggested the Reserve Bank should buy government bonds to finance this and I, I don't agree with that because that would just increase inflation too much. I think there are macroeconomic um, strategies that need to be thought through more carefully. I don't think we're creative enough with macroeconomic policy um, but I, I do think the, the they're also you know just building on what Awande said the lesser known um, facts about state spending transfers uh, and studies have shown that the state um, transfers far more to elites than previously understood. So I think around 240 billion rand annually. So South African firms sell services that are overpriced to the state. And then in turn, they specialize in widespread tax dodging and the illicit financial flows. And we don't have um, a financial regulation uh, system um, of base erosion and profit sh uh, shifting, uh, misinvoicing, transfer price, uh, pricing, and other tax dodges. 
So Ramaphosa himself was, was implicated in, um, in billions of rands worth of Lonman, uh, Shanduka, MTN, uh, and financial offshoring to tax havens, including uh, Bermuda and, and Mauritius. And that's something that Ama Bungani reported on in 2016 and 2017. So another alternative, I think, uh, to more depth, uh, to, to, uh, alternative strategy um, is to think about um, annulling loans and contracts of state enterprises and agencies um, associated with corruption. And for example, there's the odious debts um, and contracts which the World Bank um, in 10, 2010 um, admitted itself uh, that were given to uh, ESCOM, uh, the 3.7 billion, uh, billion dollar loan that was still going to be repaying until the end of the, the century. Um, and, you know, annulling things like that might give us also added capital that we can use um, for the things that are, are needed most. Um, and then raising capital from government funds under management of the PIC, um, the UIF uh, moratorium on dividend payouts by corporations on the JSE. These are some suggestions from the AIDC. Um, I think we should look, look, look into them further. Um, but what is apparent is that in the long term, we have to have a fuller social justice conception of redistribution. Um, and that needs to include collective decision-making, sharing of natural resources in a way that holds climate justice as central, like Awande said. Um, and then also thinking about um, accessible public services, affordable housing, healthcare. Um, and the way we fund these things uh, needs to be reconsidered as well, not just as costs, but investments. In, um, in, in, you know, and, and that's where a lot of the criticism around the focus on debt and dealing with our debt at this point comes from, because that is a very neoliberal um, obsession at the moment. Uh, that, you know, the austerity is not going to make things better. In fact, evidence shows that it will make things even worse. So organizations like the IEJ have done extensive reporting on things, um, uh, you know, regarding austerity. And I think those are also good to look at uh, for researchers who are interested in exploring this area more. Great. Uh, I think that was really good input. And um, it sounds like it's gonna require like a restructuring of various aspects of our society and of like our economic makeup to make the universal basic income grant possible. And what I would like to ask is, should we be mobilizing for this UBI to extend further than COVID? Because it seems to be, I'm not sure if it's being phased in as like full pandemic relief still, or if it's something that is, is the long term. And also, I've just forgotten the second part of my question. Oh, the second part is, um, what does this panel think is necessary, like what kind of work needs to be done to see, to show people, society, this this new world that is being envisioned, um, yeah, to mobilize everyone onto this. Because I think it's it it feels like quite a radical um, adjustment to society as we know and understand it today. So what kind of work needs to be put in? Um, I think is the question. I think we, we can tend to uh, spend a lot of time uh, thinking about these issues and that is very important. 
uh, we need collaborative efforts from academics, uh, from civil society, and from sympathetic people within go uh, government as well uh, to put their heads together and really uh, think about how we're going to practically implement um, a, a universal basic income or a, a basic income guarantee, as we as we refer to it. But for me, the most important thing is also looking at this um, not just as an economic issue, but as a sociological issue. Um, and that speaks fundamentally to um, how we think about um, a guarantee versus a grant and how we think about this not as a continuation of the current social welfare system uh, or an eradication of that social welfare system because it is needed, it, is, it must be in place, but over and above that, um, it, it, uh, you know, we need to mobilize and organize um, so, uh, society broadly to support this. Otherwise, it's going to, it could even backfire because a lot of people would say, well, we don't actually want this, we want jobs. And that has been something that researchers like Hannah Dawson and Liz Fuchsman, even uh, Dr. Tabang uh, Safalafala have spoken about. Um, all of them are doctors, so I, I, I correct myself. Um, so all of them are academics who've researched significantly in this area. Um, and what they find is that often people are apprehensive about um, the, the sole focus on a basic income grant or UBI because they still think that a job gives them dignity and includes them in society because not having a job is also a very psychological, uh, you know, it takes its toll on people. Um, and we obviously need to deal with those stigmas because they're completely rubbish, but we can't ignore that they exist. Um, and so the organizing work and the conscientizing work for, for me is the most important and crucial area. So um, I think there's various campaigns that are being uh, rolled out at the moment. For us, we're working on the Pay the Grants campaign, and there's a lot of work that we need to get things rolling on that. So if anyone would like to volunteer their time um, and their energy, get in touch with me and I can share more information about the various aspects we're working on uh, through the Pay the Grants campaign at the moment within the cash transfer subgroup. Yeah, so just to add to that, and I guess also uh, to begin with a comment about the previous conversation about how to fund this, I think for me, I mean, what came for me is a global dimension uh, to some of the issues that we're talking about in the South African context as well. Uh, I mean, because of the institutions that exist, um, doing something as, in quotes, radical as a universal basic income could invite punishment um, from inst international institutions who are saying, well, this is so far from kind of the neoliberal uh, capitalist policies that they have in mind um, for us. Um, yeah, that we could be punished by by international capital. And that to me also highlights the work that has to be done, that has to be holistic, um, and, and that the universal basic income is just the first step into transforming not just um into not just giving people money, but also contributing to like social and cultural change around the economy um, and around work. And to the question of how to mobilize people, and I was going to speak to the work of Liz Fuchsman, the chair I just mentioned, um, but I think that people in South Africa are already mobilized behind something like UBI, but I just don't think that it's in those particular 
terms that they understand it. So I think if we, as uh, both Awande and Shara have said, think about the colonial uh, history and think about uh, redistributive justice um, and frame it in that way, we'll. I mean, I think South, South Africans would, would support that. If people support the idea that the wealth of the nation um, and the resources belong to everybody who lives in South Africa, that's pretty much uh, the same thing. And maybe it's just a matter of rephrasing and reframing it. And that's why I think I particularly like this idea of um, the basic income guarantee, because it's part of that same logic that it's, it's you're entitled to it. Um, you know, just as being being alive and, and being and being in the in the country and not necessarily not like citizen, but just being just being there. Um, and I think, yeah, the other thing as well is this uh, the ideas that we have about uh, about work and how we ascribe value and worth to people uh, based uh, on that work. And that's something that I think the universal basic income is a first step towards uh, confronting those kinds of assumptions that we make um, about uh, labor. And I, I mean, I don't know what it would take to get people to change their minds about that to get to the point of the universal basic income. Um, but yeah, certainly that's an important aspect. Just to echo what both Sharon and Moro just said now, I think that, um, you know, to firstly, firstly, to answer your question, yes, I think this has to be a, a, a long-term structural intervention that goes beyond the COVID moment for reasons that I stated in, the, in, the, uh, in my introduction with regards to uh, the impending climate crisis and the wider um, structural work that needs to be done to reshape our entire society and to um, just hop onto what uh, Maura and Shari were speaking about with regards to the fact that in the work of expanding, mobilizing, galvanizing citizens around this um, is that, you know, South Africans do have a, a, a fundamental understanding uh, with regards to these kind of ideas, but it may not be understood necessarily within this framing of, you know, UBI uh, or universal basic income grants. And I think it's just as Shara said that it's important that we see this as, as a sociological or as a social intervention uh, and, and to, to kind of demystify and remove this conversation from uh, the economic aspects, but to understand it as, as the social intervention that it is. And that with regards to understanding the nature of our society, because I, I fundamentally believe that when you look at something like a universal basic income grant and how you want to implement it and what level or what purpose you needed to serve, it's, it's, it's part of the larger conversation of what we want our society to be. How do we want the society to look? And that part of that conversation entails discussing and dissecting the nature and the legacy of work. And in a country such as ours, um, the nature of work has been, to the most part for the majority of the society, undignified and, un and oppressive. Um, we have to speak about the idea of freedom and what does work allow in achieving that freedom. And you can have work without work as it's understood under the context of wage labor. And for the work that needs to be done in restructuring society, there are certain jobs that society privileges over others. And there are certain jobs which we need and will need moving into the future over others. We definitely need more 
uh, people doing care work. We need more nurses. We need more teachers. We'll need those people. But that work is not currently being rewarded in the way that it has to be. And we need to, and this would be a, one of the means through which that kind of work can, and people who do that work can get the kind of support that they would need. Another problem with our society is that we are a very precarious society. We have a large number of people who are living in great precarity and have been since the dawn of our democracy. Uh, young people, or in the South African context, uh, definition of young people in their 30s who have had no long-term or sustained experience of work. So, like I said before, and as Maura also alluded to, in that um, this, this conversation around work unemployment and post-work society as understood, we are currently living that in this country and the effects of that, of people not being that. But it's important that people understand, yes, they can be guaranteed an income to live with dignity um, and not that their lives must be tied to, or the value of their life being tied to an employment that they've never had and might never have. Um, but at the same time, what a UBI and this is also part of the political mobilization process of teaching people and expanding this concept um, to, throughout the populace is that it can help people do things for themselves. People in cooperatives, people who are working on uh, small businesses, people who uh, are artists. These are people who having a basic income grant or guarantee or dividend can be helped to live a life of the kind of dignity that they want to have for themselves because some work that is work that people want to do is not defined as work um, or it's not understood as work because it doesn't pay well and having something like this would help expand that and I just wanted to just finish this off by saying that also there are alternatives to UBI such as universal basic services and jobs guarantee which uh, Shara alluded to also but these things don't have to be either or they can intersect and run with each other, particularly UBI and the universal jobs guarantee, because there's certain work that, as I said, needs to be done in helping um, address the structural inequalities of this country whilst making our country more resilient and prepared for uh, the oncoming climate shocks that we're going to be experiencing more and more. And you can guarantee and have that work whilst having universal basic income. Thank you. Great, thanks so much for that, Awande. Um, I'm gonna ask everyone to give some closing statements. I really appreciated the, the climate inclusion as well because um, this whole, essentially I feel like this is a very important moment, this UBI and it's challenging a lot of the thinking that we've had. Um, so we have to kind of reimagine every aspect of our society and our economic development. And of course, climate is included as well. Um, and I also thought what Mora said about the challenge to the global neoliberal system is gonna have some backlash, um, but I also think that it's quite a promising moment for us. Uh, I think that the global effort is trying to push towards this new world. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out. But could everyone just give a brief closing statement and then we will wrap up the hour long show. Uh, can we just start with Maura, Aidan, and then go in that order that we've just established? Um, I think I just, uh, what I appreciated the most was the way that the conversation um, expanded beyond this particular intervention itself. And like you said, Seho, um, 
the the discussion and i wish we would we, we'd discuss this more the introduction of the of the climate um aspect of the conversation as well i think is quite important um and that i certainly don't think have spoken enough um about and so i'm quite glad that i one day uh brought that in and then i think just finally i think it's um something that sounds to some extent uh simple uh, the universal basic income, uh, obviously it's not, it's quite complex uh, uh, as evidenced by the discussions we've had today. Um, but I also do think that for it to work, it will require uh, a revolution um, in the way that we think about the world uh, and our places uh, in it. Hi. Um, I, I just responding to Chego's last question about this being long-term. Yes, it's, it's a long-term idea and it's not something that's just going to stop um, when COVID-19 is over. I think my position, this discussion was on the cost to the government at the moment, but I also think that universal basic incomes are going to be common in the future. It is the future grant and it's important because as Awanda says, it protects underpaid work, um, protects the kind of work that the capitalist economy doesn't reward enough. So it is the, the right sort of grant that we're going to need in the future across the world. Um, thank you. I also want to just uh, echo what Maura said about a revolution in thought uh, or a revolution in thinking, and that this current moment is, is a dress rehearsal um, for what's to come, but also it's a reminder of a long time overdue need to have these kind of conversations and to focus in on, you know, the implied understanding of what our society is built on. And, you know, the COVID moments, as I was saying previously, that it's just exposed the underlying inconsistent, uh, it was called again, inequalities and gaps in our system. And we have to start thinking in this way about that this interruption that we're experiencing right now, a lot of people have been consistently living in this level of crisis, of indignity, of, 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 of suffering, and that there's still more to come until we fundamentally address uh, the roots of the structure. And that, as, as many of you have said right now, the UBI is not the silver bullet. It's, it's not going to be the be all and end all that fixes everything. But it is, it is a explicit thrust in that direction of thinking bigger, of daring to shake up the foundations of our current society um, and starting the conversations that we need to have around the legacy uh, and historical structure and what we want the society to fundamentally be. Thank you. Thanks so much. It's been great um, discussing this important topic with all of you. I've learned a lot and um, there's so much that we need to consider, um, but fundamental to it, I would just want to reiterate that there can be no recovery without systems change and that a UBI should not be a commercialization of citizenship, but really must be based on re residency. And we have to also acknowledge that what caused this pandemic is the pathogen factory that is mo the modern industrial agricultural system and how it damages um, nature. And that, you know, 
everyone should work um, towards uh, conceptualizing how a universal basic income um, helps us to move towards um, the creation of a decommodified uh, productive uh, system within our economies and a new economic framework uh, for thinking about uh, growth. Um, the Pay the Grants campaign was um, precisely needed because the National Treasury, uh, DSD, and SASA failed on the crucial steps uh, towards um, transforming the COVID grant uh, into a gateway to uh, uh, basic income guarantees and to providing the relief that is needed. Um, what we've been doing is collecting a people's record and finding uh, stories um, and experiences that people have shared. Uh, they're completely horrifying. And we also know that almost half of South Africa's households have faced hunger as a result of the lockdown and unemployment has skyrocketed. Informal work has also been gravely impacted by the lockdown from waste reclaimers to small scale fisheries. So the urgency to the UBI um, and the basic income guarantee um, issue cannot be um, overstated. And I'm, I'm really happy that there are other young people uh, who are as uh, passionate and inspired by using this moment as Arundhati Roy says, um, you know, using the pandemic as a portal. So I, I strength to everyone who's working on these issues and I hope that we can coordinate um, our mobilization and organization uh, towards uh, building a strong enough people's power to ensure that these issues are addressed and um, that a basic income guarantee is implemented. Great. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining and for sharing your wisdoms and some of the findings of the work that you do. Really appreciate it. And I hope that this can inspire some thinking um, in other people once it's been put up. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Thank Jeho. It's been great having uh, you as the coordinator and, you know, pushing us to think more. It's been great. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.